Test one, two. Test one, two. Um, so last week we talked about what is a God, and we kind of took Luther's definition from the first commandments. You shall have no other gods before me in the large catechism, and him saying a God is whatever it is that you trust in most of all, which is why I always have bad cars, because I don't want to be tempted to make an idol of my car, right? So I don't want to trust in my car or care about it too much, so I'm still driving my 98 Camry. Um, but an idol from a human perspective is anything you might have an inordinate, disordered love for or place your trust in, like a bank account or, uh, well, what might be other idols? That we, what did we talk about last week? A whole bunch of things. Uh, trusting, <laughs> trusting in yourself. Versus yeah, yeah, yeah. So trusting yourself, that could be a, that could be a big one versus trusting in God. And of your course, career, your, your career, right. Yeah. Um, so then we move to what is a Christian is one who trusts in Jesus. So if you have your uh, the sheet from last week, you can see the, uh, the little Roman graffiti. Unfortunately, Sue will not be on that one, but it's on the one that Debbie has there. Okay, Debbie is getting extra credit tonight, as is, uh, as is Sharon. Um, Alex Aminas worships his ass, the donkey. So the picture of Jesus as a donkey there. So whoever... Uh, trust in God and it's seen as this kind of ridiculous uh, thing that he would worship uh, someone who was crucified but from the very beginning of the church Christians are those uh, for whom Jesus the crucified one is is Lord, uh, is the Messiah and then we can ask the interesting question of what is a Lutheran which we did not get to last week so uh, before we perhaps look to the sheet we might want to ask that question for for you all, what is a Lutheran, and what is the first thing that comes into your mind? <laughs> With no filter of what is a Lutheran, uh, is that a is that a good thing or a bad thing to be a Lutheran? Okay. okay. Well, I cherish it. It's to me, it's a good thing, but I think we can get too um, wrapped up in that identity, even. Yes that you know we make it too narrow okay so we get too wrapped up in the identity and in what way can you say more about that um that we close our eyes to other people maybe i don't want it other denominations okay other other Beliefs, just because they're not Lutheran. Sure. Okay. I think we. Okay. I observed <laughs> that sometimes some people who I consider Lutherans can tend to do that. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, I'll give a tentative agreement. <laughs> Anybody else have a have a um, an initial reaction? What is a Lutheran? Good thing or a bad thing. So you grew up. I did. You've been in the Missouri Senate all your life. Yes, I have. And the Missouri Senate is a bit of a special. Uh, I know, but the way I grew up, Missouri Senate wasn't stressed. Yes, which is very interesting because your dad was a missionary. Yes. Which might be part of that. Right. So the Missouri Senate is one of the few church bodies that comes over uh, to the new world. I mean, all these European. Uh, folks are leaving the old world, coming to the new world, they're trying to figure out how we're going to be church in the new world, what's going to change in the Missouri Synod, uh, right, wrong, or indifferent, I'm not trying to make a value judgment on that, basically decides that we're going to be Germans living in America and not become fully American. You know, So uh, that catechism from 1912 is probably the first English translation that was produced. So they've been living in America for 70 years at that point since 1839 and it's taken them that long to produce an authorized translation of the the catechism right um why was i talking about that sharon how do we get on that train so missouri senate lutherans are more cloistered than most right. other church bodies and you can talk and seems like it seems like it and I would say that there are, there have been in the history of the church mm -hmm. our church positive benefits from that mm -hmm. but that can also be a sign that can be a spiritual problem for I mean it can become a point of pride mm -hmm. right right which would be right. the spiritual danger okay 
and when we talk about Christians, I mean, sometimes I I want to say I'm a Lutheran Christian, and sometimes I want to say I'm a Christian Lutheran, depending on what I'm hearing. And it might be depending on who you're talking to. True. Right. Right. So I kind of think of that as, as situations where I don't want to say, for whatever reason, I'm Lutheran, but I want to say I practice the Lutheran faith, rather than defining myself as just a Lutheran. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, is the distinction you're making there that you you practice the Lutheran faith as opposed to... Um, Making my whole self Lutheran. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how else to explain. You don't it. go home and, and, and drink no. beer and have a bratwurst every day no. because you're Lutheran. But, but if and, you're thinking about, as I'm, I'm an educator, so when I think about it with kids, I work with kids with dyslexia. I'd rather say I work with children with dyslexia rather than I work with the dyslexia. I work, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, there's a subtle difference there. Mm-hmm. I'm not ashamed of, of practicing right. Lutheran faith, and I'm not ashamed of being Lutheran. Right. But that shouldn't be my whole definition of myself. Sure, sure. That's so that's the kind I'm of people at. first language, you know, kids with the sli- yeah, people first language. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, anybody else? What's a Lutheran? Did you grow up Lutheran, Sue? No, Catholic. <laughs> okay. For okay. many <laughs> for many years. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So my right. first husband and I joined the Lutheran church. He passed away in 99, but okay. we were going to a Catholic church and didn't feel like we belong, so we came to Water Life and Sure. Yeah, I'm still here. Sure. He's in heaven, but I'm here. (laughs) Sure. Sure. Yeah. Any other thoughts on what is a what is a Lutheran? I thought one of the things is um, someone that follows the teachings of Martin Luther. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, Which there's a long answer to that. (laughs) That's that's kind of true. Which is um, to say that our main touch point of what the teachings that we follow are are Luther's small catechism. and then there's a bigger book released in 1580 called the Book of Concord. Anybody heard of the Book of Concord mm-hmm. or use it at your house for a nice doorstop, which might be, <laughs> <laughs> which might be uh, uh, what it often serves as for folks. Um, so that's a bunch of different documents from the 16th century, the 1500s, and all this reforming activity is happening that lays out more fully what Luther believes. But we don't uh, we don't hold to everything Luther believes that we do hold the most believed um but we do hold to most of it um small catechism large catechism a few other things in the book of concord and then luther also had you know everyone kind of knows about luther's uh anti-semitism mm-hmm. um right so his tract on the jews and their lies i think that's 1543 but 20 years prior in 1523 he wrote uh, a tract a little pamphlet called that jesus was born a jew right so about about uh, how we should really honor the Jewish people because God, you know, brought the Messiah through them. So he's kind of a, Luther's kind of a crazy guy. <laughs> and he writes so much stuff. I mean, I have only 10 or 15 volumes of what is now a 70-volume set in English translation of everything that he wrote, his correspondence that people started collecting. I mean, shortly into his life, they start realizing that uh, he's kind of a big deal, as the kids say these days, and they start collecting his letters, right? Mm-hmm. If Luther writes you a letter, you're not going to throw it away. Um, and so we have 70 volumes in English of 90 volumes in, in German. Um, so it would be actually kind of hard to follow everything he wrote, but we do follow generally his reforms uh, in the church. So, yeah, certainly has something to do with Luther. And he hated the name Lutheran because the tradition in the church was to name these kind of uh, uh, doctrinally incorrect groups after the leader. So um, if, I'll pick on Daryl, if Daryl starts uh, a church that says Jesus isn't Lord and he has all these followers, they might be called Darylites, right? <laughs> Which I think you should do, Daryl. <laughs> I'll start tomorrow. There we go. Uh, so Did the, you the, say derelict? Derelict, yeah. The derelict, derelicts. That's pretty good. Um, so you might say the Darylite church down the, down the block, right? And we all know they're not really Christian because they don't believe Jesus is Lord type of thing. This happened in the early church. Uh, and then the Lutherans, the followers of Luther, started calling themselves Lutherans after him, and he did not like that. But it was too late, and the name stuck. 
So. So Luther did not like Jews. He was anti-Semitic. You said. He wrote a tract in 1543 called "On the Jews and Their Lies," uh, which was very what we would call today anti-Semitic. Okay. Um, but there's kind of a uh, a little bit perhaps of a cultural nuance to say that that was a very common sentiment maybe? sentiment in Luther's day, right? Okay. Um, nobody liked the Jews okay. in, in medieval Europe generally. Um, they were, one of the things they did is they lent money and interest, which Christians did not do, okay. right? And so yeah. not only were they doing something that Christians thought was prohibited by, by the Bible, but then they were um, wealthy and influential because of that, right? But he also wrote, you know, he's a man of many minds in some senses. So in 1523, he talks about that Jesus was born a Jew. And he had both of those. Um, so you have both those kind of tracks that kind of run, run together. And this idea that some have that, that Nazism came directly kind of from the mind of Luther. And that they, just because the Nazis used some of Luther's writing, I mean, that's mostly a, a, a fiction. That, that there's such a strong correlation there. And there's a book, I think I have it, and I can maybe get it after class, called The Fabricated Luther by Uwe Simonetto, who oh. talks about that, that that's not, it's not historically tenable to say that the Nazis were um, directly descendants of Luther, right? They were more descendants of the modern, of, well, of, of, you might say, this kind of will to power, survivalist, Darwinist instinct okay. more, than, more than anything else. Um, any other thoughts on what is a Lutheran? Daryl. So, in my mind, what, what Martin Luther did is, is pushed everything back to the Bible. Yeah. And, and said, okay, my, my beliefs and my theology is not based on man, it's based on biblical teaching. So mm -hmm. everything, is, everything about Lutheranism to me, his attempt and everything since then has been to match it up to the biblical teachings. Now, he's, he's not perfect, and I'm sure there were some things that he stepped over the line. But over the years, as you look at other denominations, when you see them moving away from the Bible, there's, there's some sort of man decision that's going into it. So there's yeah. some customs or there's things right. like that. Versus Lutheranism, to me, is more biblically based uh -huh. uh, and not... Lutheranism—it's—it's it's biblically based. Right. That's a wonderful segue. So let's look then at our um, th this. So do I get what? Bonus points for that. You segment? do. You <laughs> get uh, you get some time off in purgatory. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Um, and purgatory is, of course, one of the main issues that drives the Reformation. Is uh, there was a system in place in medieval Europe prior to the prior to the Reformation, so the late. Uh, the late medieval scene, you might say, and much of the religiosity was focused on inculcating this kind of doubt within people, not only about where they might spend eternity, but about how long they might be in, in purgatory. Right? Um, and so uh, there's a, a man, um, anyone know the name of the famous indulgence seller uh, around uh, around Germany at the time of Luther, that I Luther. I remember, but I forgot. Like I knew that I heard Yes, uh, Johann Tetzel, right. And uh, this famous line, at least as we have rhymed it in English, when a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs, right? So, coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. Um, there were these kind of abuses of, of church teaching and practice that were going on especially in Luther's day to help build St. Peter's Basilica in, in Rome, right? So Tetzel was trying to directly fund um, that. And in response to many of those teachings and those errors, then uh, Luther begins to teach what's, uh, what the Bible teaches and, and kind of return to the fountain source of the Bible. So what is a Lutheran uh, on the... Uh, do you have any questions, Linda? I should stop and ask because I can't hear you too well. Okay. Just shout at me, and I think I'll I'll just barely barely be able to hear it. So, um, what is a what is a Lutheran? Lutherans are first evangelical. Um, now, what does that fun word mean? So, not to meant that's a not to just spend a whole Bible study class learning about terms, but what does evangelical mean? I always thought of it as preaching the gospel. 
Correct. You might be a Lutheran if you think that's <laughs> if that's the definition. Um, what does it mean to folks on the street today if you say evangelical? Crazy people. Radical, crazy people. Right. Also, kind of a voting block, mm -hmm. right? So you hear that mm -hmm. talked about today, mm -hmm. the evangelical, the evangelical mm -hmm. vote. So the the meaning of it, uh, in it's a Greek word, evangel, that just means the gospel, the good news. So part of the recovery, what Lutheranism is trying to recover, that the church has lost for a small period of time, would be the gospel, the, the good news of God's grace uh, for all people through Jesus. Uh, the free forgiveness of sins, right? Um, so Lutherans are first evangelical focused upon the gospel of Jesus Christ and the free forgiveness of sins uh, found in him. If you want to read a book, I mean a couple different books that would be really important to Luther in this are Romans, uh, then Galatians, and a, and a bit from Ephesians, but really Romans are in, and Galatians. So to kind of back up, and I maybe should have started here, what saves a person ultimately? God's grace, okay. So how does a person get that grace and what makes person A who is saved different from person B who might not be saved if the same God is God of all? Believing in Jesus as the Savior. Believing that he took care of all our sins. Right. Um, I'm trying to trap somebody. And nobody's, <laughs> <laughs> nobody's taking the bait here. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, so, so yeah, there's the element of, of belief. How would you know, this is maybe a dumb question, but stick with me, how would you know if you believed or not? If they believed it or if we believed it? How would you know if you believe it? I would feel comfort in the fact that anything that happens to me can be forgiven. And I'd be comforted in the fact that once I die, if I believe in Jesus, I'll be. Sure. The Holy Spirit gives us that faith. Right. Don't be Lutheran for a minute. How, <laughs> how if you were, uh, how would you know that that was true, though? Right. Um, that it was a matter of faith being what we would say the vessel, the way, the channel that grace is, that God's grace is, you know, poured out in one sense, or grace really just being God's favor, God's disposition, how God views his people. Um, the Roman Catholic Church in Luther's day, uh, and even today, I think in the Council of Trent, though, um, I would ask your Roman Catholic friend if this is still the case, would teach not just grace, but grace-assisted acts of love. So yes, God's grace has his place. Is that true, Sue? Yes. Is that true? Grace-assisted uh, grace acts of love? Yeah. So uh, grace has its place and makes the first move. God even makes the first move, but then you do something in... in in and through yourself to complete that. Baptism? Well, baptism would be perhaps the first infused yeah. grace, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And then through your acts of, of um, attending worship, days of obligation, uh, grace-assisted acts of love and charity mm -hmm. and other things, and you will, in a sense, complete that. Mm. Um, which is why most Roman Catholics will not say they're going to heaven, unless I'm correct, right? They say they hope to get to heaven. Is that... Right. My dad died five years ago. Uh -huh. He was never convinced that he would go to heaven. Right. He kept saying, I don't know if I did enough. I don't know if I did enough. And, right. And so when he died, he, he, you know, I'm sure he went to heaven, but he didn't believe he did. That right. He, going to, he thought of purgatory. Right, 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 right. And, yeah. Um, and that idea, uh, that the fact that people think that or struggle with that uh, is emblematic of also Luther's struggle, right? Mm -hmm. So Luther is really tortured by his sins and believes that he has to confess all of his sins. And so he stays up at night, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and finally his father confessed or the priest hearing his uh, hearing his confession I'm really speaking too loud here I need to... The priest hearing his confession finally says just stop it. <laughs> You're annoying me. I don't want to be up all night hearing your confession. So just go to your little monk's cell and believe that God is actually who he says he is. 
where I believe that God is actually gracious. So um, you can see there on line two, the question that really troubles Luther, who really is God? Is God defined in the first place by his mercy or grace or by his anger and his wrath? And even we might say his, his righteousness, right? At last, this is Luther writing near the end of his life, reflecting on his journey, we might say, to this point. At last, meditating day and night by the mercy of God, I began to understand that, and you got to kind of pay attention to the language here, the righteousness of God is that through which the righteous live by a gift of God, namely by faith. So the righteousness of God is not that God himself is righteous and holy and, and destroys everything else in his sight. The righteousness of God that Paul talks about in Romans 1 is actually a gift of God that we namely receive, how does he put it, by faith. The righteous live by a gift of God, namely by faith. Here I felt as if I were entirely born again and had entered paradise itself through the gates that had been flung open. So that is uh, Luther's experience of, we might say, rediscovering the gospel um, that had been obscured. Although certainly, uh, certainly there were many in the medieval Catholic Church who preached the gospel. Right? It wasn't totally lost. And it's not as though Luther invents something that never existed for 1,500 years. It's more of a recovery of something that was obscured by some of the practices that had crept into the church, especially the, the 300 years prior to, to him. Um, thoughts, comments, questions about that? So Lutherans are evangelical focus on the gospel as the, the good news about the grace of God in Jesus Christ that is revealed through the scriptures and that we receive by faith. That's, does that answer your question, Sharon, about the evangelical? Or do you have yeah. an additional Yeah, you know questions? what? It, I mean, it sounds uh, redundant. You know, Lutherans are evangelical, focused upon the gospel of Jesus Christ and the free forgiveness of sins found in him. Evangelical, describing a Lutheran, is is redundant. It's just stating the obvious. That's because now we know what Lutherans are. Right. Um, through history. So when Luther first has his reforms, he has one to be called Lutherans, and most of the churches mm -hmm. in the first place are not identified as, as uh, Lutheran churches, like we would say today, Lord of Life is a Lutheran church. Mm -hmm. Uh, they would say this church is an evangelish church, mm. so in German, evangelish. Um, uh, so, isn't the original name of the Missouri Synod uh, has evangelical somewhere? The church I previously served was founded in 1935. Mm. That was Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church, mm. right? So you have to imagine mm -hmm. 500 years ago that Lutheran doesn't exist, and how do you know that Lord of Life is not? What's the nearest Catholic church to here? Ascension. Ascension. How do you know that Lord of Life is not a Catholic church because we're Lord of Life Evangelical Church? Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, words change, and now it means something. I know, and different. maybe that's my problem. I'm, I'm upset that, you know, <laughs> that the culture has, has corralled that term evangelical and made it something, not desirable. So that's just my own thing. So never yeah. mind. Don't dwell on it. Don't talk about it. It's just I'm just spouting. Sure. But you know there are some <laughs> church like in China, in uh, Taiwan, uh -huh. they have the Chinese Evangelical Lutheran Church. Right. right. So a lot of churches do still say evangelical in them. Yes, um, and the state church in Germany that was uh, Lutheran is I think still called the Evangelist Church. And they forced them to merge a couple of times, obviously, since Luther's day. And there was an independent church body that were in, in fellowship in Germany mm -hmm. with, called the Selbstandige Evangelisch Lutherische Kirche. So the self-standing, independent, evangelical Lutheran church. So they get the E and the L, you know, they get yeah. it all there. Um, when, this is really getting too far afield, but it's kind of uh, relevant, I hope. Uh, the ELCA, so the biggest Lutheran church body in America, was was founded by three different church bodies merging in 1988. 
and one of the people working with the merger said that they missed their opportunity to get rid of the nickname and they should have named it the Evangelical Catholic Church in America. Mm. Which I think he was right in a certain sense as we're going to see mm -hmm. on point B. Um, but that would have been a marketing nightmare. Yeah. Because everyone would have showed up expecting a Catholic church. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. yeah, a Roman Catholic yeah. church. So, uh, but it was an, it would be an interesting thought experiment, right? We should mm -hmm. be Lord of Life, small C Catholic church. <laughs> well, do you think we can do that, Daryl? Think the MMC will go for that? I don't think that'll fly. Okay, Gene. <laughs> I'll put it on the agenda. All right, we'll put it on the agenda. Right. This new pastor, he's here six months. He wants to change the name. I don't think that's going to fly. We're Catholics. All right. Uh, so B, Lutherans are Catholic. Anyone know the most literal definition of the word Catholic? Universal? Yes, universal. Mm -hmm. So um, Lutherans are Catholic, holding to the faith once passed down to the saints. That is, when, we, when Luther did his reforms, he wasn't trying to throw away everything. Uh, he was trying to retain the the true practices and just get rid of the bad, right? So Luther does that, and then other people follow in his train and say Luther's too Roman Catholic. He still baptizes babies, for instance. He still believes that Jesus is actually present in the Lord's Supper. This Luther guy, he's too Catholic. And of course, um, many people might look at our services today with vestments and liturgies and 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 infant baptism and things like that say it's too Catholic your reform didn't go far enough Luther's reform didn't go far enough and we would say well Luther's reform was trying to get back to the Bible and not overturn everything right he wasn't trying to throw away things that were good like the liturgy or things like that um, if they were of use to people if they benefited people uh, but he was trying to get rid of what was in direct contradiction to the teaching of scripture you know, talk to me maybe if you can. I hear a lot of times that the, if someone asks me where you go to church, and I'll say, Lord of Life, Lutheran Church, oh yeah, that's Catholic light. <laughs> and I hear that. I can't tell Catholic light. It's got Splenda instead of sugar, right? Yeah. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. Have you heard that? I have heard Catholic light, yeah. 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 I mean, what do you say back to somebody who says Catholic light? I mean, nothing, I guess. I would ask him where the what they mean yeah <laughs> then I get well I have to, a couple times well you say the same creed we do so yeah okay so that's why well, we're we still Catholic Catholic progressed reformed Catholics yeah 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 we say the Apostles um, Creed or the Nicene Creed we the right Church too, so, so I think what's what's true about that is is that we're not trying we're trying to reform, or Luther was, trying to just get rid of what was bad and retain what was good. So some of it will inevitably look similar. Yeah. Right. Okay. I'll go with that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Any other thoughts on Lutherans are Catholic? We are. Remember what I told you last week about what the nuns taught us when I was a little guy? Uh huh. Catholic. Catholic? Yeah. And I don't know if you Catholic. Yeah, I went to Catholic school. Yeah, okay. But they called it Catholic, the, not Catholic. Well, no, the, the nuns told us, you got to think about this uh, in, in a lens, Catholic lens, that uh, small c is Catholic. Oh. Uh, wow. So, yeah. And, so Lutherans and, are. And, and, and capital C is Catholic. Mm. And, and Catholic is, again, this is a lens through. Uh, that the nuns were seeing. Catholic is everybody but us mm -hmm. that are still Christian. Okay, mm -hmm. sure. They're not sure. Catholic. Okay. They're Catholic. Mm -hmm. So we were always taught that if we saw that word, we were supposed to pronounce it Catholic. Mm -hmm. Okay. So small c. Yeah, so. Um, Did you ever hear it that way? Mm -hmm. yeah. I had not. Interesting. <laughs> And <laughs> so in the Apostles' Creed, it'll say, I believe in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, right? Now, we have since, I guess we don't have a hymnal here. If you look at our hymnal the next time you're in church, open to the back page, you'll see that it'll say Christian. Because nobody uses the word Catholic to mean universal church anymore, right? Um, but the original creed says Catholic, and we can certainly retain that and say that. Um, and still say that we are 
Well, I guess the nuns would want us to say that we're Catholic. <laughs> yeah. Those nuns, you can't, you know. Um, Tough. <laughs> so, you still bear the scars. <laughs> <laughs> so Lutherans are uh, evangelical folks on the gospel, the good news of God and Christ Jesus, Catholic holding to the faith once passed down to the saints throughout time and history, and also uh, this is a too wordy way to say it, but I like saying it, and uh, we don't need to talk that much about it. But Lutherans are Western Catholic Christians of the Augsburg Confession. Sure. Uh, sure. Which was <laughs> a quote from a, a sainted Sem prof who died in 1973, Arthur Carl Pietkorn. Um, Lutherans are Western Catholic Christians of the Augsburg Confession. There's a lot going on in that sentence. Um, we don't really have time to cover it tonight, but another way to think about it is that Lutheranism is a reform in pastoral and Christian practice within the Catholic Church. And as we would posit it, the Roman Catholic authorities at that time kicked Luther out and didn't give him really a fair hearing. Uh, so they excommunicate him. They don't really take his concerns as seriously as they perhaps ought to, ought to have. And then by the time you get to the Council of Trent, in 1546, which is where um, anybody heard the term Tridentine cat, uh, Catholicism? Um, so the, the dogmas of the Council of Trent in 1546, or Tridentine dogma, <laughs> which is basically the rule of the Roman Catholic Church from, from 1546 until 1967 when Vatican II. Anybody remember Vatican II and all the. Um, I wasn't born, but I know my parents talked a lot about it. Right, right. So you're 68. moving. <laughs> 67, I think. Or 64th and 66. One of the changes in Catholic and Vatican II is that you can now have the Mass in English and not just in Latin. Right, that's right. Which is one of the things Luther was saying, <laughs> right? So they kind of came around 400 years later to some of the reforms that Luther was preaching anyway, right? Which is kind of interesting. Um, any thoughts, comments, questions on, on that? There's a lot to chew on in that sentence, but uh, we should be be moving on. See, I should I should make these outlines for Sunday morning Bible class and maybe yeah. we'll <laughs> actually get through some more of the scripture. So going back to well, I know I also have questions, sorry. But where has Lutheranism is a reform in pastoral practice? It doesn't necessarily what what does that pastoral I always think of a pastor and what a pastor does, but that's probably not what that means. Well, that's no, kind kind of. I, th I think what I'm really getting at there, and I heard that from a Sem prof too who said that, is that Luther was really troubled, and he needed somebody to just tell him the good news. Okay. It, wasn't, it wasn't just a, um, and, and I'll, I'll use your dad in a minute if that's okay. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't just this problem of, of doctrine and teaching, although it was connected to problems in doctrine and teaching, it was a crisis of Luther's soul. And he needed the pastor to come alongside him as one of his father, confessor, pastors, priests did, and not just a pastor, it could be any Christian, and say, no, God is actually a God of mercy. So, um, see, your dad, if, if, yep. if he were my parishioner, I would say, you're baptized, right? And God took the initiative. God's a God of grace and mercy. God is the one who has chosen you. Don't worry about it. It's not about what we do in the end, okay. right? What yeah. we do is certainly good. The work that Christians does is, is a yeah. great thing, uh, but it's ultimately about about God. And so resetting some of those concerns for, for people, if that makes okay. sense. Okay, that yeah. helps. Any other thoughts, comments, questions? Then let's keep, any uh, questions, Linda? No, thank you. Perfect, thank you. Uh, so then Luther's small catechism, which he writes in 1529, is the most, uh, I mean, he wrote, as I said, 90 volumes, and he said at the end, you could basically burn it all except for the small catechism, large catechism, and bondage of the will. Um, so he regarded it as the best thing he wrote, um, and that is what we still use 500 years later as the basic teaching tool that I think is extremely, uh, extremely helpful in learning the basics of the faith. So. Um, what does it cover? Then it covers first the Ten Commandments. You can see those biblical references there to where you might find uh, these things in uh, in the Scripture. The Ten Commandments, then the Creed. It goes through the Apostles' Creed uh, as the most basic of the three so-called uh, 
throw all the terms out there tonight, ecumenical creeds. So there are three creeds, um, as you mentioned with Catholic light, three creeds that are confessed by most Christians everywhere. The Apostles' Creed, um, the Nicene Creed from 325, and then the Athanasian Creed, the really long creed. Mm -hmm. And I played my cards right, and I was on vacation when we, <laughs> when we did that here. So I, I wasn't. Didn't even, what's that? <laughs> you weren't? <laughs> right, right. Um, so now anybody who grew up in a, in a I mean, obviously Catholics... <coughs> Confess all three creeds, right? Um, Apostles my seen. I don't remember in school doing the Athen, whatever you call it, Athanasian. Right. I don't remember that. Might have just been one one mass a year on Trinity Sunday. Although I, I know the first time I heard that is when I was with my now wife in the, in the LCMS Church up in Iowa. The Athanasian creed, not a holy cow. What these guys come up with? <laughs> <laughs> and you still came back, yeah. yeah <laughs> So any, anybody from a, a more Protestant experience, so if you went to a different church that was not Lutheran or Catholic, and did they confess the creeds often, frequently? I went to a Methodist church. We did the Apostles and the Nicene. Okay. I've never heard of that. Right, right. So most Christians will confess the creeds as basic summary statements of what we, uh, what we believe. Here is it kind of laid out in three or four paragraphs, right? Um, so Luther has a lot on, on the creed, and of course the creed is, is a kind of witness in a way to the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So Father creates, Son redeems, Holy Spirit sanctifies. It's kind of an easy way to, to think about that. So there's Ten Commandments, there's the creed, there's the Lord's Prayer, uh, baptism, the office of the keys, which is a fancy way to say confession and absolution which has something to do both with the work of pastors and also individual Christians, and then the sacrament of the altar. So those are the uh, six chief parts, as we call them, uh, of, of the catechism, the kind of basic elements of the faith. Um, I'll stop there and ask if there are any comments, questions about that. So the Roman Catholic catechism does that lay it out in kind of, or the one, you use the Baltimore Catechism? It's been so long. Yeah. And does it lay it out in specific parts? Like, okay, you're going to learn about the Ten Commandments here and do this and this and this? No. I guess when, when, when I went to Catholic school, there were ages and grades where you would learn something, but I don't remember any kind of book that, like this. Sure. That was shown. But I'm sure there was. I just don't remember it. Sure. Sure. Okay. Um, they touched on all those things. Right. 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 Yes. And uh, Luther catechisms or you know kind of teaching manuals uh, were pretty common in his day. Usually they included the first three, but not the last three for one reason or another. So most of them focused on Ten Commandments, the Creed, and Lord's Prayer. Um, and Luther does something kind of interesting. He changes, uh, he changes the order, whereas many of the catechisms prior to his day, uh, catechism is just a fancy Greek word that means teaching. Um, so it's kind of one of those words that has crept through time into English because it's, um, what's the word I'm looking for? So connected to one specific thing. I'm trying to think of another analogy. What's a word that we use in English that, that we borrowed from another language? There's so many. Oh. There's so many, right? Because English just steals everybody else's grammar and vocab. But um, something will come to me right when everybody leaves. At the end of the day, like, that was the analogy I was looking for, right? Um, I had a friend. Anybody ever get menu regret when you go to the when you go out to a restaurant? And as soon as they take your menu, you know what you really oh, want to yeah. order. Yeah. <laughs> I had a friend, yeah. yeah, yeah, menu regret. And so he would, he would go to this diner and seminary, and he would, yep, I want this. And she would walk away, and he'd say, I wanted chorizo. I knew I wanted chorizo that whole time. I didn't order it. Uh, that will happen to me tonight. Um, so he changes the order uh, to place the Ten Commandments first. Any ideas to why? 
maybe because that's what people are used to, is is being talked to about your sins and that you make. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's from God to begin with, the Old Testament. It's from the Old Testament, yeah, yeah. so it has kind of a chronological it's yeah. prior. Um, Linda, what did you say? It's God's law. Now, there is a good word that we could spend, that we will spend most of the rest of the class talking about in one way or another. Um, what is, so Linda, could you give us a definition of what is God's law? Yes. He, he, he delivered the commandments telling what his expectations were and what we needed to do to please him. Right. Um, so he delivers the Ten Commandments. I don't, I don't know how, Linda, I just got your, my, my volume working again. So <laughs> uh, he delivers the Ten Commandments so that people might know what's expected of him, which maybe sounds, uh, sounds like a burden, but as we kind of talked about last week, if you're somebody from the ancient Near East and, and you think that there are some gods out there somewhere, but you don't know how to define them or relate to them, if you see a giant ball of fire moving through the sky and you think, I want to, I want to worship that god somehow, that god has not taught you how to worship it. <laughs> it's not taught you what it expects from you. For all you know, you've really angered that God of the sun, and tomorrow he's going to send a fireball your way that's going to destroy you, right? So if you remember your Old Testament history, of course, God, uh, in, in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1. And then you go through all of this time period in Genesis and all of these problems that the patriarchs have. We tend to think of uh, the patriarchs like Abraham as these very austere figures, we forget about the wrong things they do, like Abraham. Uh, what were we talking about Sunday? Doubting. Um, Doubting God and tricking. Uh, right. Taking tricking matters them. into their own hands. So that. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lack of trust in God, which is mm -hmm. why, you know, trust and mm -hmm. faith are, are the key element that Luther does recover. Um, but Abraham, you know, lies to people about the fact that his wife is, is his sister gets in trouble that way, takes a mistress, even though he should have trusted God's promise that Sarah would get pregnant despite her old age, right? Takes matters into his own hands. So all of these Old Testament figures are sinning all the time. <laughs> so they're also examples to us of God's grace. Uh, then they get uh, to Egypt and through the line, they get to Egypt through Joseph and the 12 tribes of Jacob. They're all hanging around in Egypt in slavery. Uh, God, of course, brings them back through Moses and then they go to Mount Sinai uh, where God gives them the law. Um, so is the law uh, maybe a dumb question? But I always tell my students, my confirmation students, there's no such thing as a dumb question. Uh, is the law a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing. Yes. Um, it's a good thing in the first place. It's God's will for life. It's how life is supposed to work. If I go around... Uh, murdering everybody I see because I don't know that there's a law against that or there's some kind of curb against that, then society just won't function very well, right? That seems kind of obvious uh, to us. So he reveals the law, um, and it's a good thing, but well, why don't we go to number five right now? Um, so on your sheet there, let's look at number five, which is some very uh, old-school Lutheran uh, ways to remember the law and the gospel. Did everybody who grew up Lutheran learn this? Mm -hmm. At one point, the three uses of the law in confirmation class. Mm -hmm. Debbie, you didn't grow up Lutheran, right? Nope. So did you take a class here at Lord of Life or a different church? At St. John's, which is now Pathfinder. Okay. Did they go through the catechism there in the class? Um, basically, yes. Okay. Okay. Um, did you learn this, the three uses of the law in catechism? Yes. Okay. And in Bible class here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Curb mirror, except we called it rule. Curb, yes. Rule. So this Curb, is keep you between the lines where you're supposed to go. Right. So this will be kind of a Lutheran, um, a Lutheran view of God's law, whereas other Christians might think of it differently. 
So do be um, aware of that. Kate, what would you say, if you asked a Methodist what they would say of God's law, how might they, in the um, broadest terms possible, how might they answer that question? I, I don't know. I feel like it was more just like, if you don't follow the law, it's a sin. And okay. it was kind of, I don't know. That's um, But then maybe that was just the basic Sunday school teaching <clears throat> that, you know, you teach kids. <laughs> right, right, yeah. That's always the problem is you have to reduce it for kids, and then kids think that that's the sum total sometimes, and then don't dive deeper into what it, what the, what the full meaning of it is. So certainly Lutherans would agree with that. If you don't follow the law, God's will, that is a, a sin, right? Um, and yeah, I think we maybe nuance it perhaps a little bit differently. I mean, Methodists and correct me if I'm wrong, following Wesley will tend to believe in something called entire holiness or total sanctification. That is, it's possible in this life to follow the law completely and totally. Whereas we would tend to say that it's not possible. (laughs) You're old Adam. And part of that depends on what you define as following the law. So are are your thoughts sinful or not? Do your thoughts break God's law? Most Lutherans will say yes. Mm Many other Christians will say, not really. In fact, Roman Catholics will even talk about concupiscence. Um, if you know that $10 word, concupiscence, the inclination to sin, desire to sin. Yes. They'll talk about that word, that concupiscence is not actually sin uh, in and of itself. It simply leads you to sin, right? We would tend to say that that there is such corruption that even the, the will to sin is evidence of, of sin, mm-hmm. right? Thought, thought word and deed. Thought, thought word and deed, exactly. right. right? Which you can see where that would lead you to maybe a crisis point, because mm-hmm. who can really completely and totally stop their thoughts? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Nebraska, you know, loses <laughs> yet another game <laughs> in excruciating fashion. Even if I don't yell a curse word at the TV. Some word is in my head. (laughs) (laughs) Even if I stop the tongue, right? Uh, Still there, right? Right. So the sin of thought, uh, word, and deed. Mm. So then how do you ever stop (coughs) sinning? Well, you do sin less, I Mm. think, but you never stop sinning completely, and you always need Jesus even even to the very end, right? Um, May I say... Yeah, go for it, Linda. May I say, I, I just think of it as... Uh, laying out for us uh, that we should be given some guidelines about what is right and what is wrong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and um, I mean, our art um, uh, is where we have our. Uh, a kind of our conscious consciousness about right and wrong. Right. Uh, I, I may be misstating that, but you know. Um, yeah, I, I was think... giving a an avenue to do what is right, know what is wrong, repent for what is wrong, be aware of your actions throughout the day. Uh, and need to talk to God. Yeah. Uh, and I think the idea that you mentioned there of conscience is really important, that God, as Paul lays it out in Romans 1 and 2, which you, you can read if you want to kind of wrestle with what he's saying there, is God's given every person a conscience to know yeah. right and wrong internally, and yet that conscience can be dulled. And... Um, in small ways and large ways. So you start thinking something, you start doing something, and if you do something and you get away with it long enough, right, if every time you're at the grocery store, you put a stick of gum uh, in your pockets, if you're a kid, and nobody catches you, pretty soon, your conscience isn't bothering you about it anymore, right? And so in a way, uh, God has put this, this conscience into all people and now the written law revealed to us at Mount Sinai is, a, is another way of awakening that conscience to the truth of what God's will for, for not just our lives, but everyone's life together actually is. Yeah. And the thing is, he, he didn't 
I mean, the Ten Commandments were, were more for we the people. I mean, he also set out expectations of things that uh, the government should be allowed and not allowed to do. Like, we're not supposed to kill, but, you know, God's given permission to authorities to right. deal with evil. Right, and, right. Yes. Yeah. So there are, um, well... Different we kinds of... <laughs> Expectations I, are different. They're they're different vocations, right. right? And if you're an executioner, you know, leaving all arguments about the death penalty aside, and not making any value judgments on right, wrong, or different on the death penalty, but if you're a uh, an executioner fulfilling your vocation on behalf of the society, then that's different than murder, right? You're killing, but you're not murdering in the same way. Same would be true for soldiers, right? Mm -hmm. um, in warfare, so yeah. Martin Luther has a good, mm -hmm. uh, a good little writing on can soldiers be saved, mm -hmm. talking about that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, thank you for that. That's a kind of helpful clarification as to the law. Okay. Well, I think he gave us the law because he loves us. He gave us the Ten Commandments because he loves us and he wanted us to see the law because he wants us to be with him. And the only way we can be with him is if we follow these laws 100%. So then he had to have plan B. So um, I think he, I, I don't know, I just think he gave us a law out of love. Yes. Bracket that in your mind for a minute. Let's just go through the, the three uses of the law. So, and, and come back to that, he gave us a law out of love. Which sounds on the face of it unLutheran to me, because mm -hmm. I think what we would tend to say is he gives the gospel out of love, and the law is something he does out of his righteous nature or something like that. But I might actually agree with you. So let's keep <laughs> going and see. Uh, let's see where I end up by the end of the night and how it'll go. So the first use of the law, the law is a curb. You can have a reference to First Timothy uh, one nine through ten. There it applies to all people everywhere, right? Um, so the law as a curb is something that stops society from imploding in on itself, right? If there are no curbs, cars could go everywhere, it would be kind of chaos. If there were no law against murder and you could murder anybody you want, it would be awfully hard to have a society because any, kind of, uh, any kind of vengeful feeling could be so quickly followed by action. So the fact that people are afraid of punishment is that first use of the law, the law as a, as a curb. I think we the world needed order. Yeah. That's what I think this soul commandments are kind of about is uh, creating a, a way to to have order in the world. Right. Right. And the first use um, helps to create that order. The law is a curb stopping stopping evil, stopping injustice. We would say the second use is a mirror and this is a, the use that Lutherans especially will zero in on that the, that the law um, would bring life would even bring eternal life if we could keep it perfectly but since we can't keep it perfectly or it's been revealed to us that we can't keep it perfectly the law functions as a mirror to show in part uh, our sinful heart and it reveals our sin to us. So there's a couple of Bible references there. Show so, us how we really are. Show us how we really are, right? So, um, you know, self-deception is a scary, terrifying thing because by the very definition, if you're self-deceived, you don't know it, <laughs> right? Um, if you're doing something really noble, but actually you're, you're hurting all these people or whatever or you think you're doing the right thing but you're really not then you're self-deceived you don't know that you need something from outside of you to let you know that and uh, you can fill in your example from your life of people who are self-deceived right so many of the great comedies uh, that have been written are about people who are fundamentally self-deceived and don't see their own foolishness or, or whatever um, Anybody ever read uh, Moliere's Tartuffe? It's a play in the 1600s? No. So he writes that, and it's a whole 
play about how silly rich folks are, and all these rich folks come to the play, and they don't realize that they're the butt of the joke, <laughs> right? Um, you know, so if you were going to write some TV show about how silly people are who get way too invested in football, and I sit there and I laugh and I point at the TV and I say, those people who care too much about football are just so silly, and I don't see the log in my own eye, as Jesus mentioned, um, pretty funny, right? But the, the scary thing about self-deception is you don't realize it, right? So the law then functions to help us see our own, our own sinfulness in, in, in that way. And then the third use of the law is the law as a guide. So that is, um, once you see your own sinfulness and turn to Christ, then we, then we, or we come to Christ, you might say, or Christ claims us as his own through baptism, and it's about God's work. Uh, once we see that, then we say, okay, well, following the law is a good thing. Uh, I don't want to hurt my neighbor any more than I already do, um, so why wouldn't I want to follow, follow God's law? That's certainly better than... Uh, following any other kind of law that we could that we could follow. So the law functions in the Christian life to guide us into uh, into better behavior. So uh, thoughts, comments, questions. There we are at eight oh two. So I would like to just run through the last part of the um, the outline and ask a few questions, and then we'll kind of go from there. Does that work? Yes. Great. Um, so the Ten Commandments, um, and again, we, if when I do this with kids, we at least my previous church it was two years long, so we would go through every commandment would have a week. So we go through the first commandment a week, the second commandment the next week. So we don't really uh, have time to do that. But I also, um, you all will be more willing to read on your own uh, than than most kids would. So this is going to be a longer section if you'd like to take a look at it this week. Uh, and have any any questions that might that might come up, um, fifty two through one twenty seven, or just skim it however you want to do it, and take a look at it. I guess is this my catechism? This is not my catechism, Jessica. This is now your catechism. <laughs> so that'll be a new one. So that one um, is that's the one I grew up on. How about that? An old blue catechism from the nineties. That's great. Um, that one will have newer. Uh, I gotta find where mine is. I guess maybe it's. Still in my office somewhere. Um, so starting at 52, 52 to page 127. 127, thank you. Yep. Um, so take a look at that and bring any questions you might have about that. Fundamentally, then, what you have are the two tables of the law. As we would say, the first three commandments are about God. And if your God is true and your heart is set right with God, it's going to be a lot easier to treat your neighbor well. For instance, if you believe that God really created me and all creatures, as we'll confess in the Creed, then it's hard to truly despise another human being that God has created. Because every person that God has created is made in their image and capable of being redeemed through Jesus Christ, uh, being redeemed through Jesus Christ, despite how vile they may be acting at that time. Mm -hmm. So the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, uh, and Luther's comment on that that we discussed last week about anything that we trust in is really the basis of all of the other commandments, right? If, you, if your God is the one true God, uh, it'll be easier to, for example, honor your father and mother, the fourth commandment, even when they are uh, maybe not even that honorable of people, right? Um, it's easy for me to follow the fourth commandment nowadays as much as I can because my parents were uh, pretty good and didn't inflict any, you know, serious trauma on me that I know of, right? Uh, but other people don't have that experience, right? Um, which affects their relationship with God and very often their ability to relate to their parents and all other authority figures and, and keep the fourth commandment. Uh, the fifth commandment, you shall not uh, kill. Well, you know, if you recognize in all other people that they are all made in the image of God, then you do not want to uh, deprive an, an image bearer of, of their life. Uh, the sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. So, you know, the, the vows made in marriage before God need to be honored, and that's God's plan to protect uh, uh, procreation and the raising of, of, of kids is through putting boundaries around sexuality. That's how flourishing works, right? Uh, the seventh commandment is... I thought I was going to be able to do it. Steal. <laughs> steal. So shall not steal, right? So depriving somebody else of their property. The Eighth Commandment, you shall not give false testimony. Um, that's 
pretty obviously broken all the time on the internet. Right? <laughs> Say anything you want uh, and don't don't suffer yeah. the consequences. Does anybody ever read Plato, um, Plato's Republic, and the ring the Ring of Gyges? Is it ringing a bell? Uh, the Ring of Gyges that makes you invisible. So why should you do the right thing if you uh, will never suffer the consequences of it? Right. Um, is it is there any reason to be just outside of uh, avoiding punishment? Pretty good question that he answers through that, and he comes to the right answer, which is yes. <laughs> there is a reason to be just, even if it's just to uh, more so than just avoiding punishment. In the ninth and tenth commandments about coveting, um, about the nature uh, of our hearts and what we what we desire. Which, to make a full circle, is why I drive a 98 Camry. I don't want anyone coveting my car. So I just say, I'm going to do everyone a favor and drive this car so nobody can covet uh, Nobody can covet my car. Um, so that's the first table, the second table, and there's a great quote from the Didache, and this is how we'll end. Um, and by the way, this is the rite of confirmation. So this is a continuing discipleship, new member class, and if you're interested in becoming a member, um, that would be great. I think following Jesus entails accountability, would be the reason for church membership of some kind. Um, and so uh, we do that here through confirmation, through uh, adult confirmation, and these vows made before, um, before our community of faith here at Lord of Life. So that's for your information. And then the uh, last section, hey, only eight minutes over. That could have been, could be worse. Um, the Didache which is an old, 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 old document. It might be the first document that we have written by Christians not included in the Bible. So something that is extra-biblical, not from the Bible. Um, God, we would say, didn't inspire it, um, but it is still uh, a very good thing to read. talks about the two ways, the way of life and the way of death. So following the law, claimed claim by Christ, following the third use of the law is... The way of life. It's the best way for things uh, things to go for us. So from the Didache, there are two ways, one of life and one of death, and great is the difference between the two ways. This is the way of life. First, you shall love God who made you. Secondly, your neighbor as yourself. And whatever you do not, whatever you would not like done to you, uh, do not do to another. And then point B, the way of uh, the way of death, which is also connects to what Jesus said in John 10 about that they may have life to the fullest. Um, I got the impression as a kid, many people thought Christianity was kind of a killjoy and about uh, not having fun. <laughs> and that's not true. Uh, it's actually the fullness of life that God uh, seeks to bring us in. And part of that is... That's part um, of being Lutheran. Not having fun? No, no, no. <laughs> having fun. Oh, okay, okay, all right. Yeah, my, my father-in-law served in Northwest Ohio, and where he was... There were these two churches, and I'm shocked they did this in the 60s, and if you're Lutheran, you'll know why, because Lutherans aren't going to change and do things like this. These two churches in the 60s, country churches about 10 miles away from each other, merged of their own volition, uh, even though they could both afford to keep going as a self-standing congregation. They merged and then planted a new Lutheran church uh, right south of the little, little town there called Convoy. So they pooled their resources and merged churches, which just doesn't happen very often. But in some of those country churches, there was a bowling alley in the basement. <laughs> yeah. Because, of course, in the 19th century, if you're speaking German and you don't speak a word of English, that's not just your church. That's your family. That's your social club. That's where everything comes down to. So they did presumably have some fun. <laughs> so there's a Catholic church, Epiphany, um, in the city. And they had a bowling alley, six lane bowling alley, for as long as I can remember. And I think it may still be there. Do they still have it? Well, I there think they did. There you go. Six lane. Any last thoughts, comments, questions? Very good. Well, let us, uh, yeah, Linda? I'm good. Okay, very good. Well, uh, so next week we will cover uh, what's that thing, Commandments, the Creed. And that is the other part of how Luther sets up his catechism is the Ten Commandments. Even though they're God's good rules for life, in some ways, because we're sinful, they will, in some ways, reveal to us our sin and need for a Savior. 
So where do we go once we know our sin? We go to the creed that shows us our Savior. So there's kind of a teaching method in the way Luther has even ordered the small catechism. First, you go through the Ten Commandments. You hear the law. Inevitably, the law will convict you. You'll think of that time in your life when you didn't honor your parent as you should have or you stole a piece of gum or something more significant. To the point of pride, I can't remember what monk it was. i got to find this quotation because he said, you all in the real world think that you deal with your great sins like sexual immorality and theft and all of that. We deal with the real sins here in the monastery like pride (laughs) and those kinds of things, which is to say all of the external stuff flows from the heart. Right? So... Um, okay, then let us, uh, let us pray. We pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. All right. Very good to see you, Linda. We will see you. Uh, see you next week. I have a quick. Yeah, maybe Sunday. Oh, very good. That'd be great to see you. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Take care. Bye. I'll ask